God, to serve you, for the privilege to come into your house, God, to feel your presence, God, to feel your spirit and your anointing, God. We are grateful. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thankful for all those that are in the house tonight. Pray that God will speak to us through his word, through his concepts, through the principles of his word, that we can take them. Uh, Pastor on Sunday kind of went back and I tell you what, I've been in church my whole life, but I can hear repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and filling of the Holy Ghost preached over and over, and it stirs me up every time because it's just the Word of God, and the Word of God is alive. And when we hear the Scriptures, it does something. It connects with the Holy Ghost right inside of here is what it does. So tonight we're going to talk about something that is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. These are just timeless principles in the Word of God, and we're going to rehearse them and discuss them tonight. If you'll turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 16, we're going to read a scripture before we start tonight. Colossians 1, 16. And the Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So tonight, I've just simply titled this Stewards. Just Stewards. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Pastor, will you lead us to God in prayer for tonight? Amen. You can be seated tonight. When I went to get ready, we hand me my wallet out of there. When I went to get ready, um, actually, you can just hand me my whole purse because I might need it. Talking about money and stuff, you know, my wallet's in there. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like my suitcase, really. Um, yeah. Like trying to get ready tonight. It was really easy because I went and put on my skirt that had my money on it. <laughs> so, you know, I got my dollar bills up here, so, you know. But anyway, before we get started and kind of dig into some of our concepts and precepts for tonight, I got a few comics that I want to share with you called Financial Funnies. If you can just throw up the first one, we're going to look at them. They're pretty fun. The guy's shaking the pastor's hand. Great stewardship sermon, pastor. I'm going to increase my giving 100% from $1 to $2. Next one, please. The stewardship committee's latest idea for helping to raise the annual church budget to get into the bathroom, they had to deposit 75 cents. <laughs> We'd make a killing around here. The mom's talking to the kids before they go into the toy store. Before we go inside, repeat after me Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So all moms take note. Here's a couple, a dollar bill and a hundred dollar bill having a conversation. The hundred dollar bill says, I had a good life. Nice house, fast cars, great vacations, and expensive restaurants. The one dollar bill says, all I ever did was go to church, go to church, go to church. The hundred dollar bill says, what's a church? Next one. The pastor looks at the minister of music and says, next time when I preach on tithing, don't sing Jesus paid it all as our closing hymn. <laughs> next one. Offerings at First Church have really increased since the pastor required everyone to be baptized holding their wallets. 
This guy looks and says, I wonder if I can put in $20 and take out some change. There wasn't too much laughter. I think that's because it's probably happened. <laughs> These two guys are stranded on an island. He says, I'm afraid no one will ever find us. He says, don't worry. I give $100,000 a year to my church. My pastor will find us. This guy says, we only give when we feel led. The last time we felt led was in 1979. <laughs> so I think that, is that the last one? Okay, I think it is, yeah. So you can just throw my title slide up. So we're going to talk about stewardship tonight. So I'm going to grab something out of here. Talking about money, but it's more than just that. But here we go. I have a few dollar bills. So Brother Zach, i have you hold on to those for me, okay? Okay, all right. Is that an easy thing? You can do that? Okay, so Brother Zach's holding on to my dollars. And we're going to start, as he holds my dollars, with principle number one. We're going to discuss ten tonight. Number one, possession doesn't mean ownership. Sorry to disappoint. Possession doesn't mean ownership. Now, we read the scripture when we opened tonight that by him, speaking of God, all things were created, visible and invisible. All these different things were created by him and for him. Ownership basically means you own something. It belongs to you. But just because you possess it, in other words, just because you're holding on to it, doesn't mean that you own it. But God, he created the earth, and he created everything in it for himself. And he owns it all. He doesn't just possess it, he created it, and he owns it. Now, stewards, or stewardship, is the activity or job of protecting or being responsible for something. It also means to manage or look after another's property. Our money and our possessions, as we're going to learn tonight, are not ours to do with as we please. All that we have belongs to God. And it's our responsibility to manage it in the way that he desires and instructs us through his word. So the dollars that I handed Brother Zach tonight, they're in his possession, but they don't belong to him. In a sense, it's mine, but I let him hold on to it so he could be a steward over the money that he has, right? So we're going to relay that concept tonight. Number two, a very, I'm laying down a few basics tonight that you need to know. Tonight we're going to talk about a lot of principles in God's word, and then next week we're going to kind of bring it home to application and how we apply it in our life, okay? Number two, money is not evil. Now, it frustrates me so bad when I hear people quote, yep, Money is evil. Money, no, money is not evil. Money, Brother Zach, let me see one of those dollars. Money is morally neutral. It's not good. It's not evil. It's a thing, right? It's a thing. 1 Timothy 6.10, though, tells us, for the love of money is the root of all evil. When this is number one and all the person cares about is money, that's where the beginning of evil starts. Many times you incorrectly hear people say, money's evil, but it's not true. When people become greedy, they desire this more than anything else, evil takes root in their heart. And many sinful acts are done for the almighty dollar. People will cheat, steal, lie, murder, deceive, harm in order to gain wealth. Put a high enough price tag on it, and some people will completely abandon any morals they previously held. 
It's no coincidence that many times in criminal investigations, you'll hear the phrase, follow the money. Because if you follow the money trail, many times it'll lead you back to the perpetrator of the crime. But money is simply a tool. It can be used for good, and it can benefit many good causes. You can send money to a missionary. It can create an orphanage. It can provide food. It can provide clean water. But it can also be used to fund many evil activities, prostitution, child, all these different things, sex trafficking. There can be many different uses for money. But money should be used but not served. And how we handle money can be a really good indication of our spiritual lives. Number three, good stewardship and giving is not a drudgery. Now, here's what I want tonight, because I know me, okay? I know me. I'm the type of person that I can provide high challenge, but I also want to provide high support. So my goal tonight is, as we get through this series over the next couple weeks, I want you to have a burning desire to be a better steward over your money, to be a cheerful giver, to be someone that is following God with your finances. I don't want you to do it out of a sense of obligation, oh, I have to, or this is what I'm supposed to do. I want you to lean in and glean from the word and develop a passion about it, okay? Because it can be just as exciting, just as rewarding as anything else we do in our Christian walk, okay? But the thing is, when you start talking about money, people get uncomfortable, right? I mean, we live in a society where it's not really kosher for people to talk about their finances. People don't go around saying, well, how much do you make? Well, what do you do with your money? How much is your house payment? How much did you spend this week on? You know what I'm saying? People just don't talk about that. It makes them very uncomfortable. So I want you, though, to take these concepts and apply them to personal finances in the next couple of weeks. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to come, okay, here you go, God, here's my money. Here you go, church, here's my tithe. God doesn't want us to come with our head hung down, depressed that we're handing. No, God, was, God, I am so excited. I am happy to hand this over. I am so glad to invest in the kingdom. I want to give this to you, God. God doesn't want us to give because we have to. He wants us to do it joyfully and willfully. And he wants us to recognize the great blessings that can come from being generous with our finances. Acts 20 and 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, a lot of what I'm talking about tonight, I have based off the book by Randy Alcorn called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Now, me as a person, I am not that big of a nonfiction reader. Like, give me a good Christian fiction book, and I can just eat it up, stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning. But a nonfiction book, it's a struggle. This nonfiction book was not a struggle. This book is amazing. I mean, I've underlined it, reread portions of it, put quotes about it on Facebook. I mean, I love this book. It is amazing. So a lot of the things I'm going to say tonight come from this book. If you like to read, I encourage you to read this. Randy Alcorn in this book stated, when you receive, one person is blessed. But when you give, three are blessed. You, the recipient, and God. When we give cheerfully and generously, 
it can bring us great joy. How many of you have at Christmas time given a present to your niece, your grandchild, your kid, and watched them open it? And watching them open that gift and just light up was brought you more joy than the gift that you got. Is that not true? I mean, it just, you know, oh, thank you so much. This is so perfect. I love it. And you're just like beaming like, yes, I got him a great gift. It feels good to give someone something, doesn't it? And that's the type of joy that God wants us to have when we give, all right? The knowledge that we're helping someone else and that they are pleased with us can bring us great joy and contentment, especially knowing that God is pleased with us. As long as we remain a giver, God will continue to bless and give back to us, okay? All right, number four, you get what you give. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, I feel a little bit like my husband tonight. I've got so much scripture. <laughs> I feel like him. I told the media guys, I said, you're going to feel like you're getting pastor scriptures tonight because I'm sending up so much. But there's so much good stuff in the Bible about finances and such and it says for with this sorry but with this I say he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully so if we invest just a little into the kingdom of God then we'll get a little in return but if we give generously we will get much in return now understand that when we're reading this oh if I give a lot I'm going to get a lot it doesn't mean that suddenly we might get some big, great windfall of money, okay? That's not what it means. Because the return on our investment into the kingdom can come in many forms. It could come in our spiritual growth. Maybe we're struggling in an area and God gives us victory over that. That's his giving back to us. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe we need a touch in our bodies. And we're giving by faith. And so God gives us a healing. Miracles. Open doors. Maybe he provides a better job opportunity. Maybe he gives you a promotion at work. Maybe you suddenly get a raise. And if none of those things happen down here on earth, you can absolutely guarantee that you are storing up unseen treasures in heaven. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But rest assured, it will always come back to you. And always in greater measure than you gave. Scripture said it, that if you give, it's coming back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Not to reap sparingly, but you will reap generously as you give. Okay? Number six. And this one's going to take us a little while. We're going to spend a little time here on number six. Those first few was just kind of some basics. But we're going to spend some time here with number six. Stewardship is a heart issue, not a money issue. Stewardship is a heart issue, not a money issue. Taking care of our finances, being a generous giver, living within our means. At the end of the day, it's not about the money, okay? It's not about how much we have. It's a heart issue. Listen to these statistics out of the Word of God. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Isn't that amazing? Jesus talked about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. 11 of the 39 parables talk about money. And the Bible devotes 2,350 verses to talking about money. 
That's more than all the scriptures about faith and prayer combined. Now, how many times you heard someone say, if you're going to be saved, you need to be praying. you got to talk to God in order to have a relationship with him. you got to walk by faith. you got to have faith. It takes faith to believe in God, does it not? But yet God spent more time talking about money than any of those things. So don't, wouldn't you agree with me then that it must be pretty important? I agree. So why? Why does God give, why did he choose to do that? Why did he give us so much instruction about money and possessions in his word? Why does he say more about how we are to view money and possessions than any other single thing? What did he know about stewardship that we don't? Well, let's look at some scriptures and stories in the Bible to talk about this idea. You guys remember Zacchaeus? I know if you're a Sunday school teacher, you do. Remember good old Zacchaeus? Right. Well, after his meeting with Jesus and him coming to his house and all that, old Zacchaeus had a change of heart, didn't he? And he said, I'm going to give half my money to the poor, and those that I cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times what I took. Well, let's look at Jesus' response to Zacchaeus. Some people would say Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't just say, good idea, Zacchaeus. Good idea. That sounds like a good plan. He didn't say that. In Luke 19.9, Jesus said, today salvation is come to this house. What? Isn't that amazing? Jesus judged the reality of a man's salvation on his true, the pureness of his conversion, based on his willingness, not just his willingness, but his cheerful eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and the good of others. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to give my money to the poor. I'm going to pay back those that I cheated. Today, salvation has come to this house. There's a correlation between our money and our salvation. Then there's the polar opposite to Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler. This is the young man that came to Jesus asking what he had to do to inherit eternal life. He was a hardworking young, we might call him even a professional, decent young man. And he said, what can I do to have eternal life? And when Jesus told him to keep all the commandments, he said, I've kept them all. I've done that. So in other words, if he's kept the commandments, I mean, he must be a religious man, true. He followed the law and he followed the commandments. Okay, that's good. Well, then Jesus went on and instructed him and said, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Okay? Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. It's like, I'll follow your commandments, God. I'll follow your word. But when it comes to my money, eh, no, you can't have that. I'm sorry. Just no. And he went away sad. He was willing to totally forsake eternal life in order to hold on to temporary wealth. Okay? Now, Jesus, after this man went away, he followed it up and he looked at his disciples and told them that it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven, even harder than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's what he was telling his disciples. And the Bible says the the disciples were astonished at this. Like, it really surprised them because they didn't understand how great wealth And having wealth is not wrong, okay? He wasn't saying it was a sin. It's not. But what he was saying is that as people begin to accumulate riches and wealth, that it can actually present a hindrance to spiritual growth. Not impossible. There's a lot of good people that have had wealth and handled it well, but God knows what we can handle. 
I think there's a lot. I'd rather be poor and go to heaven than rich and go to hell. I'll tell you that much. Notice Jesus didn't tell this rich young man. He didn't tell him to give 10% to the poor, okay? Now, if this man was an obedient Jew, which I believe he was because he said he followed the commandments, then he was already doing that, okay? Now, Jesus didn't turn around and tell his disciples to go liquidate all their stuff and give away all their money. Jesus doesn't ask us of that. But Jesus, being God-robed in flesh, knew this young man's heart. And he knew that in this young man's life, money was his God. And it became evident when Jesus asked of him, you can have eternal life and follow me, just go sell what you have. And the young man said, no, I can't do that. He knew that none of us as Christians can truly have God sitting on the throne of our life without first dethroning any other gods in our life. And that can include money. If Christ is not Lord over money and possessions in our life, then he's really not our Lord. Because that means we're withholding an area of, her li of our life to God and saying, nope, you can't have control over this area. I don't want you to tell me what to do with this area, right? The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon's just a biblical word for money, okay? It's not that you can't serve God and have money. It's that you can't serve God and serve money, right? You can't serve it. Alcorn in his book says you can have two jobs, three siblings, two parents, but one spouse. And he said some relationships are meant to be exclusive. And this is how it is with our relationship with God. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share his throne with anyone. We will only have one master in our life because something in our life will always take top priority over everything else, okay? And that should be God in our life. I want that to be God in my life. But we can't serve God and money at the same time because if we serve money, it leads us away from God into things that are not of God. So if money is our master, then it's replace God on the throne of our heart. You might say, well, I don't serve money. I mean, you know, I don't have much of it. But at the end of the day, if we're not allowing God to instruct us in our life on what to do with our money, then we are withholding something, and we just have to evaluate what's first, okay? But we have to keep God first and allow him to ultimately instruct us on how to handle the money we are entrusted with. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, about what God's entrusted us with. Just as Jesus gauged Zacchaeus' true spiritual condition by his willingness to part with his money, so he gauged the rich young ruler's true spiritual condition by his unwillingness to part with his money. Jesus knows each of us intimately. Kind of scary, ain't it? He knows our thoughts. He knows my heart. Oh, God, I just need to fall down and say, please forgive me, God. He knows us intimately. But God, because of his, intimate, his, his ultimate wisdom, he will ask us to take action that will break our bondage to money and possessions and that will free us to live according to the way he wants us to live. Ask yourself, if God spoke to me and said, I want you to leave your job, I have a plan for you, would we be willing to do that? If God said, I want you to go out tomorrow and I want you to sell your car and I want you to give all that money to the poor, would we do it? Or would we say, God, no, you're not asking me to do that. How would I get to work? What would I do? What if he says, the next check you get from work, I want you to give that entire check in the offering. Would we listen? Would we be obedient? 
or would we struggle with it? Because what those things come down to is, do we really trust him? Do we really trust that God's going to take care of us if he asks us to do something by faith? And listen, I'm not standing up here talking about something that me and my husband have not experienced. Trust me, when it was back in 2000, 2001, when God said, it's time for you to step out and go on the evangelistic field. I want you to quit your jobs, and I want you to get in your car, and I want you to start traveling and go spread the gospel. When we put our notice in at our jobs, we had two places to preach, and one of them was at home church. I'm not saying it's not scary. I'm not saying that it's not easy. But we were obedient, and I'm not saying we're anything because it was a process. But we followed with what we knew was the will of God. And for six years, we were on the road, and God provided every week. Now, we never knew. Now, I know in some denominations, they send people out, and, you know, they give them a salary or whatnot because people would say, oh, you know, did your organization pay you? Um, no. We never knew going from church to church what we would receive that week. It could be at the end of a five-night revival, $200. It could be at the end of a three-night revival, and we were abundantly blessed with $1,000. We never knew from week to week what our income was going to be, if we are going to have money to put in the truck to travel to the next place. But we trusted God. We trusted God because we were doing what he spoke to us to do. And if you will follow what God has spoke to us, if we'll follow what he has spoken to us to do in his word, he'll take care of you. We're not going to go unfed. We're not going to go without our needs met. God will take care of us. It comes down to do we trust him? Do we trust him? The timeless principle is this. There's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude regarding money and possessions. Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, they're not isolated stories in the Bible. When people asked John the Baptist what they should do, they said to bear fruits of repentance. In other words, how do we show proof of our repentance, our spiritual growth? Listen to what John the Baptist told them. He said, you need to go share your clothes and your food with the poor. He told the tax collectors, don't collect and pocket extra money. He told the soldiers, don't extort extra money. Be content with your wages. These people didn't ask John the Baptist about money. They asked about fruits regarding spiritual transformation and change in their life. Yet all of his answers back to them related to what they should do with their money and their possessions. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing to me. Because those money and possessions, those two things, they're so close to the heart of what it takes to follow God. John couldn't talk about spiritual growth in their life without talking in terms to them of how they should handle their money and their possessions. Let's talk for a minute about the poor widow and her two mites and the rich man. I'm just going to read it to you straight out of here and how Randy Alcorn wrote it because it's pretty good. So think about the story of the widow. Think about the story of the rich man, okay? Now I want you to put yourself in the role tonight. You're a financial counselor, okay? Someone's come to ask you a question about their money, okay? Today you have two appointments. First, with an elderly woman and then with a middle-aged man. The woman's husband died six years ago. She said, I'm down to my last two dollars. 
I have no more money. The cupboards are bare. These $2 are all I have to live on. Yet I really feel as if God wants to put them, me to put them in the offering. What do you think? What would you tell her? Just think in your mind, what would you say? Likely, if you are like most people, you might say something like this. Oh, sister, that's very generous of you. But God gave you common sense. He knows your heart that you want to give, but he wants you to take care of yourself. He knows you need to eat. I'm sure God would have you keep those $2 and buy food for tomorrow. He wants your needs to be met. You can't expect him to send down food from heaven if you give up the little money he's already provided you, can you? God wants you to do the sensible thing. All right? That's what a lot of people might think. They might not say it, but isn't that true? That's probably what some people would think. Okay, your next appointment comes a successful, hardworking, middle-aged farmer whose crop production has been excellent. He tells you, I'm planning to tear down my old barns and I'm building bigger ones so that I can store up more crops and goods and I'm saving for my future. Then I can take it easy, retire early, maybe do some traveling. What do you think? What's your answer? Perhaps it sounds something like this. Sounds good to me. Oh, sir, you have worked hard, and the Lord has blessed you with good crops. It's your business, crops and money. If you can save up enough to support yourself and take care of yourself for the rest of your life, by all means, go for it. Maybe one day I'll be in the position to do the same. Don't you think our advice to this poor widow and this rich man seemed reasonable? But what would God say? Well, Lucky for us, we don't have to speculate because Scripture tells us exactly what he would say. In Mark 12, a poor widow put two copper coins in the temple offering box. It was all that she had left. Jesus called his disciples over because, as I'll share with you some Scripture later, Jesus, on purpose, went and sat in the temple close to the offering box to watch people as they came and put their offerings in. And evidently, he was close enough to see that the coins she put in were copper. So he had to be somewhat close to see what she was putting in. So in Mark 12, 43 through 44, the Bible says, And he called over his disciples, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living." Jesus set this lady up as an example for us to follow because what did this woman do that was different than all the other people that had walked into the temple and gave that day? She gave sacrificially. She gave until it hurt. She gave all that she had. It wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't, oh, I got $200, I'll throw in $2. It was, this is all I have, God, and I'm giving it to you. She gave sacrificially. She didn't throw it in casually. She carefully considered what she felt God was wanting her to do, and she followed through, and she gave all that she had. And we know the principles of God's word. When you give to him, he'll give back to you. My mind goes back to the story in the Old Testament of the woman and her son, and she says, I'm just going to bake a little cake, and we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. And the man of God comes through, and he says, oh, before you do that, make me a little cake first. Are you crazy? This is all I got left for me and my kid. I mean, how many of you moms out there would, this is our last meal, and the pastor comes along and says, 
make me a little bit first. Uh, no, I'm taking care of my child, and then we're going to die. But you know what? Now this woman, she followed what the man of God and what she felt to do. And you know what? Her meal never ran out. God provided for them. If she had not done what God had asked of her, they would have ate their last meal, and they would have died. But because she was obedient, God took care of her and her son because she was obedient. That's what God's asking us to do, to trust him that he will take care of us. He will. I promise you, it has happened so many times in my life. God will do it for you. He's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you have $10 or $10,000. You give what you can give. You give sacrificially. You give according to the word of God. He is going to take care of you. Okay? Now, in Luke 12, we read about a rich man. Now, nothing says in the Bible, there's no um, disparaging remarks saying anything about him being dishonest. It doesn't say that he wasn't religious or anything like that. He was working diligently to build his business. He wasn't doing anything wrong, okay? He worked hard to build his wealth. And the Bible says he made plans to tear down his barns and build bigger barns, okay? But that's all he was consumed with was his business. And Jesus said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. He was so focused on planning for his future down here that he wasn't making any investment when he was going to leave this earth and be up there. Jesus went on to say in verse 21 that all of us are the same as this rich fool. When we lay up treasures for ourselves and we're not rich or generous towards God. Okay? So the study of Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler, the poor widow, the rich fool, and all these other Bible characters, it shows us through each of these stories, and these are just a few of many, that our handling of money can almost act as a litmus test of our true character, kind of an index of our spiritual lives. What are you doing with your money? Where are you at in your walk with God? Think about this idea. If a man or a woman in their lifetime, let's say they only make $25,000 a year, in our society, that's barely enough to scrape by, right? I mean, that's not even minimum wage. Let's say 25000 a year is what they make, okay? From the age of 25 until they reach 65, they will have had a million dollars pass through their hands. But doesn't that kind of blow your mind? 25000 a year, but in that amount of time, they will have had a million dollars go through their hands in that 40 years. That's a lot of money. Even $25,000, you compare it on a global scale, that's wealth compared to most of the world. Someday, we're going to give an account of our life before God. And if he asked us, where did all your money go? <laughs> what did you spend your money on? And then we ask ourselves, what's been accomplished in eternity or for eternity through my use of my money? And I say my money with quotes. It's not really my money. In the story of the poor widow, as I said, Jesus took time just to sit out and watch the givers as they brought their money to the temple. He was interested enough in what people were giving that he chose to make it even a lesson to share with his disciples. Can we put Christ before everything else? Put him first? You know how the scriptures talk about us denying ourselves. Take up our cross. Follow him. But can we do all that? with no effect on what we do with our money? I don't think so. However, in our society, you'll hear a lot of different voices saying things like, oh, tithing was Old Testament, doesn't apply to us. 
Oh, New Testament practice of giving away to the poor, it doesn't apply to us. Uh, the scripture that talks about not to stockpile assets and hoard possessions, that doesn't apply to us. So what does apply to us? Our spiritual lives are absolutely at stake, but also our families. Because consider this. We all know, we've heard the statistics that half of all marriages end in divorce. And that's not exclusive to the world. That statistic has creeped into the church. Half of all marriages end in divorce. And 80% of divorced couples indicate that financial issues played a primary role in ending their marriage. Money issues contributed to ending their marriage. Think about if we could get our hearts right when it comes to our money, how many other areas of our life would fall into place? It can happen because God's going to give it back to us. All right, number seven, earthly temporal, tre temporal treasures and heavenly eternal treasures are not equal. Matthew 16, 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So basically what scripture is telling us, we can amass a lot of belongings, a lot of things here on earth. But we can only enjoy those things while we're here on earth. And our time here on earth, while it may seem long, in reference to eternity, life is but a vapor, Bible says. It's but a vapor. It's a very short time. We can only enjoy our treasures here on earth while we're alive on earth. These things won't stand up to the test of time. How many of y'all have had clothes fade, cars fall apart, paint peel on the house? Things break down. Things get broken. Things rust. They depreciate. They break. They have no lasting value when you compare them to the treasures that we can lay up in heaven. And, of course, we know we can't take any material wealth with us when we die, right? It's like the two guys standing there at the um, graveside. And they got this big pile of money, and they said, he said he wanted us to bury his money with him, that he wants to take all these thousands and throw them in. But I think we should just write him a check and put it in there and take the money with us. <laughs> you can't take it with you, right? Nope, it's not going anywhere. They're not going to stand up to the test of time. However, when we use our resources on earth, the earthly, tangible things we can hold on to, our, our, our money, our possessions. When we use those resources and we invest them into spiritual things, like, well, how do we do that, Sister Me? Like giving to missions, feeding the poor. We take up collection at Thanksgiving and Christmas so the money can go to help feed some of the families in our community that don't have enough money to have a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, when we're sending money overseas so the missionaries can help build an orphanage and take care of these children who have no parents, Whenever we pay our tithes, we are gaining eternal treasures in heaven that are absolutely going to last forever. This last verse I read talked about our hearts being where our treasure is. So basically, if we have our sights set on heaven and on eternal things, then our hearts will follow and be about our Father's business. So wherever you see that people are investing their money, that's what's important to them. Simple concept. But if people are investing money in the church, church is important to them. If people are investing money into cars or into a hobby, and they do that more than anything else, that's what's important to them. You can see where their heart is by where their money goes, okay? Number eight, we are managers 
of God's assets. You got to have a biblical view of money and possessions, okay? Many of us, we could say, thank you, God, I'm alive. I woke up with breath in my body. He gave us the ability for many people to go to work and do a job. It's not always a job that we enjoy, but it's a job that we are able to perform. It gives us an income to help supply things for our family. He gives us health and strength. He wakes us up in the morning with breath to be able to get on our feet. God has blessed us with those things. Think about this. Would a landscaper have a job if there was no grass that ever grew? Who makes the grass grow? He does. Simple, right? But because God created grass and grass grows, landscapers have a job. What about a cook? Well, cooks have jobs because there's food. Well, where does food come from? God created potatoes. God created cows, right? He created the animals that provide the meat. He created the vegetables that are grown that we can then take home and eat, right? Cook has a job because God created those things. A mechanic. Well, how does that relate? Well, mechanics can have income from their jobs because God gave people wisdom on how to create different modes of transportation, right? I mean, as simple as it is to say, if God didn't create us humans with a brain, there's a whole lot of stuff wouldn't be able to happen, right? We couldn't do anything. I mean, people say, oh, that's man-made. But in reality, who made man? He did. So what we have It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He owns it all, and we are his steward. He entrusted us with the care of his assets. I want you to think about that. God trusts you. I gave Barzak some of my money. You know what? I trust him. I trust him to take care of it. I think I do. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I do. And so God entrusts us with the care of his assets. And for most of us, God's not asking us to give it all away. He allows us to have an income because he knows we need food on our table and a roof over our head and heat in the winter and cool in the summer. But he does ask us to pay our tithes, which is 10%. We'll talk about that more down the road. He asks us to give a free will offering above and beyond our tithe. And he wants us to do it generously and cheerfully, okay? There's three parables in the Bible that kind of touch on God's stewardship principles for our life, and I'm just going to run through them. I'm not even going to put them up on the screen, but just for reference, the scriptures where they're found, Luke 16, 1 through 13, talks about the unrighteous steward. Basically, in this story, this man was put in charge of his master's finances, and he was unwise. He wasted money. He ran up personal expenses. I'm just kind of putting it in modern lingo. He didn't seek out payment from those who owed his master money, and his master found out about it. And he pretty much said, you're fired. The end of this week, pack up your stuff and get out of here. Well, he lost the privilege at this point of overseeing and using his master's money. Now, there's additional details you can go on and read about how this guy's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I can't beg. And he went on to talk about what he did to try to get back some of his master's money. But at the end of the day, here's our takeaway. We put ourselves in that story. God is our master. He owns it all. We're the steward or the manager, if you will. God has entrusted us with the care of our money and possessions. And then we're like, okay, God, you've entrusted me with this. What do I do with it? How do I know what to do with it? Well, because his word gives us instructions on how to use it. 
He didn't just say, ah, dump it in your lap. Here you go. Figure it out. No, he gave us specific instructions on how to use it. And he doesn't want us to be like the steward in this story who squandered it and spent it lavishly on himself. And God doesn't want us to take all the money and the different possessions and the things he's blessed our life with and only use them for ourselves. That was not his intent. Because, I mean, at some point, all of us are going to die unless the rapture takes place first. But at some point, we are going to reach an end where it says, you're done. And at that point, everything we've done is frozen. Once we're dead, we can't go back and change anything. We can't go back and do anything. Once the rapture takes place, then it's over. And we give an account. And God may ask us what we did with his resources. The next parable is in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is the parable of the man who had three servants. This might be one that you're more familiar with. He gave the first one five talents, the second one two talents, and the third he gave one talent. Now, the master went away, and the Bible says that the first two doubled their master's money, and the third, he didn't do anything with it. Well, when the master returned, he was really pleased with the first two who doubled his money, but he was really angry with the third servant to the point that he went up to him and he took the one talent back and gave it to the first servant who started out with five and doubled it. He took it from him and gave it to him. You might say, well, that's not what's not fair. He gave back what he gave him. The idea is, though, that he gave it to his stewards, his managers, and he wanted them to be profitable. He wanted them to invest. He wanted them to make a difference. And this guy just sat down and was lazy and didn't do anything with it. He just stuck it in the ground. In fact, he goes on to say, Jesus said, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus was teaching us that we're going to be held accountable for what he's entrusted to us. He never intended for us to hoard it, keep it for ourselves. He wants us to use it to grow and bless his kingdom. The final parable is in Luke 19, 11 through 27. This is another parable. And this is real similar to the one we just talked about. This is where um, it talks about the servants increasing their master's assets once again during his absence, except once again, the last one who had the least, he hid it away and he did nothing. Now here's another important takeaway that I think we should look at in these stories. The three servants were all servants to their master, but they were not given equal shares. They were all given different amounts, but all were expected to be profitable with what they had been given, okay? The ones who grew their money, they did so in proportion to the amount they had been given, and the master wasn't so much concerned with the amount they had or the amount they made. What he was concerned with was their actions, and everyone that was profitable and everyone that had taken action were praised and rewarded, okay? Each one in this room, we're all going to have different levels of income, different amounts of finances. God's entrusted each of us with different amounts of money, different possessions. But he does expect each of us to be profitable in the sense that we bless the church and the kingdom of God with what we've been given, Scripture tells us he that is faithful over few is going to be made ruler over many. If God can entrust us to do the right thing with just a little, he knows he can trust us with a lot. And that principle, it kind of invalidates all the people say things like, if only, like, if only I made more, I'd help the poor. Or if only I had a million dollars, I'd just pay off our church and I would give to missions. Mission, missions. Or if this, 
if that, if only. If I'm dishonest, or maybe not dishonest, but let's just say I'm selfish in my use of a few dollars, we're going to be the same way if we had a million dollars. Because it's not about the amount, it's about our heart. What's in our heart? So we ask ourselves, the issue's not what would I do if I had a million dollars, but what am I doing with what I do have? What am I doing with the 10000 the 1000 the 100 or even the $10 that I do have? As stewards, our rights are limited by lack of ownership. It doesn't belong to us. Brother Zach, as a steward of the money right now, he doesn't have the freedom to say, oh, I'm holding on to Sister McGee's money, so I'm going to go take myself out. I'm going to go buy myself some stuff. Why doesn't he have the right to do that? Because it's not his. But what if I went to Brother Zach and I said, Brother Zach, I'm going to give you this money. Um, I want you to take at least 10%. I want you to put it in the church. And the rest, why don't you go buy yourself a meal? Would it be okay for him to do that then? Yes. Why? Because that's my money. And I told him what he could do with it. God entrusts us with finances and money. And he instructs us on what to do with it. Right? And what he's asked us, and we'll talk more about it next week, but one of the main concepts is he wants us to give 10% in tithes, and the other, he allows us to use it to take care of ourselves. Right? He doesn't ask too much. So we, it's, it's not my money. Right? We manage assets for the owner's benefit, and we don't carry a sense of entitlement to the assets we manage. It's our job to find out what does the owner want done. If someone goes to a money manager and said, here's my money, it's the money manager's job to find out, well, what do you want done with it? What stocks do you want to be put in? What investments do you want me to make? He doesn't do that on his own without consulting with the owner of the money. He gets his permission. We need to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with what you've blessed me with? How can I carry out your will in my life with my money? And if we focus on what he wants and his rights, then we're going to do our job. But the moment we begin to think about and focus on what we think we deserve, what we think is owed to us, then we lose perspective, okay? All right, number nine, God doesn't need our money. What? You've just been talking about giving to God and giving to the kingdom and giving to the church, and now you're saying God doesn't need our money? No, keyword being need. God doesn't need our money. There was one young boy in church, and he thought that after the ushers went through and took up the tithes and offerings, that the ushers went to the back where there was a long tube that sucked up all the money straight to heaven to God. <laughs> the truth is, though, God doesn't need our money. I'm going to run through a few scriptures. They're not going to be on the screen. Deuteronomy 10:14. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God's, the earth also with all that therein is. Leviticus 25, 23. For the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. Job 41, 11. Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, God says, and the cattle upon a thousand hill. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, not even our body. Because the Bible says we are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I mean, from the tiniest little grain of sand to the ones he created in his image, it all belongs to him. 
It doesn't belong to us. We serve a God who has need of nothing. So if he doesn't need anything, why does he ask us to give of our money and invest our resources into the kingdom, into the church? Why? Well, here's a few takeaway thoughts. One, if it's not for him, then it must be for us. Well, why do I need to do it? Number one, for our own growth, spiritual salvation, and benefit. As I already quoted scripture earlier, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So God knew that if he instructed us how to use our finances, it would help us in our spiritual growth. The more we give, the more we become like Christ. Because he gave his all on the cross, didn't he? Our hearts become in tune and in alignment with the heartbeat of God. Number two, why else? So that we will be a blessing to others. The poor will be fed. The gospel will reach other nations. People who are faithful in their giving, their tithe paying. You know what? That's what keeps the church doors open. That's what keeps the mortgage paid. That's what keeps the lights on. That's what keeps the podcast going out. That's what purchases Sunday school lessons for our kids in the back. That's what keeps water running in our baptistry. That's what keeps vehicles and literature for our missionaries to use. That's what allows people to go and get training as a minister or as a musician and so much more. When things come into the church, that's what allows the church to survive because the church is the people. So we ask ourselves this question. Stop for a moment. Close your eyes and ask yourself this question. If everybody in the church gave like I do, would the church be able to remain open? If everybody in the church gave like I do, would the church be able to remain open? Contemplate that. You can open your eyes. God wants everyone in the body, everyone, because everyone is important. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not going to ask you to do something. He's not going to ask me. He's not a respecter of persons. He's even that way with the plan of salvation. We all have to repent. We all have to be baptized in Jesus' name. We all need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he's not asking you to do something different than what he wants me to do. Because your 10% and my 10% may not be the same, but it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And we'll talk about more about that next week. But I hope that that part weighs heavy on us. God, if everybody gives like me, would the church be able to stay open? Here's another reason why God asks us to give. It prevents us from becoming materialistic and focusing on earthly possessions. The more you give, the more you want to give. When you see God operate in your life as a result of your giving, it makes you want to do it more. I remember when we first stepped out on the evangelistic field, God really was amazing about really building our faith with finances because I wish I'd remembered to bring my little journal that I was keeping at that time. But right off the bat, when we've had our very first revival, I think Paul's grandma had given us some money, maybe like $25 or something like that. This is when the church was still down in Kingsburg. And we were driving. And I think at that time, it's been a long time ago, I, if I have my story straight, I think that your wife was driving to church and you were working late, but there or wasn't, I don't know. Anyway, I just know that I ended up giving it to your wife because for some reason y'all needed it at that time. I don't remember why. Well, then the same night, someone else in the church came up and gave me double what I had given away. Well, then I'm like, God, I just gave money away. I, and so then I took that money and I went and I passed it on. And I kid you not, the next night, I got money given back to me, double what I had just given out. And it just like, it just open hand 
policy. You guys heard me say it a million times. You don't close your hand on what God's given you. You keep it open. And as God pours blessings into your life, you let those blessings flow back out. And as long as your hand's open and stuff's going out, stuff can keep coming back in. And that's what God was teaching us. There's a Be Modest boutique. You all know I've talked about them um, quite a bit. They're a boutique in Ohio that sells modest ladies' clothing. They give. They are a nonprofit. They don't take in. They're not doing it for profit to make a bunch of money. Currently, they give $1,000 a month to the prison Princess Within conferences. Every month, whatever they make, $1,000. They said, you know what? God's been blessing our business, and we're thinking about increasing it to $1,500. I mean, God's blessing them, so they're going to raise their giving. They're not saying, oh, God blessed me for giving. I got extra, so here it goes. No, you know what? God gave them more, so they decided to give more. That's the type of attitude God wants us to have, okay? I was talking to Brother Mike Penrod before church. We've been talking a lot. I think Pastor had mentioned it, how a few weeks ago he taught on tithing, and Mike started tithing off of his scrap metal that he does. And since that moment, you can ask him. He'll tell you. He said in the past, what, week you took eight loads? Five? Five. That was more than you've done over the time, maybe one every couple weeks. But he's been getting all kinds of stuff coming his way. You know why? Because the more he gives, the more God's going to give back. I'm telling you, it is a timeless concept. God will give. He will take care of you. Whenever we traveled and evangelized, we didn't know week to week what our income would be. But whatever God gave us, we tithed off that money. We gave our offerings off that money. And there's many times that we might have been at a church or at a conference um, with friends, and God would move on our hearts and say, you need to give so-and-so such and such amount of money. Okay. Uh, no questions, God. We'd give it, and I promise you, God always took care of us. And all that time that we were on the road, we never missed a payment. A bill never went unpaid. We never went without. Were there lean times? Of course there were. But God always provided our needs. I remember one time we were down. We had very, very little money. We're like, God, you know, we need some money to, you know, be able to eat some meals. And guess what? People came by our hotel room and said, hey, I have a garden. Here's some corn and here's some tomatoes and here's some food and just dropped it off at our door. It's like, whoo, thank you, Jesus. I mean, God always provided. He will take care of you. If you give to God, you honor God. He will honor you, I promise. Last one tonight, number 10. Good stewards live within their means. A lot of people create their own financial crisis by spending more than they make. Putting themselves in a corner, things like this happen by people running up credit card debt, maybe taking on a house payment they can't afford, buying a car that's too expensive. But part of being a good steward, it's not just about giving. It's about taking care of what we have and living responsibly, living frugally with what we have been given, okay? Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Our goal should always be to live within our means and honor God in our finances. Now, what does live within our means? It just means don't spend more than you make. Simple as that. That's easy. But when we're all the time running up huge debts, then we restrict our ability to be free in giving with our finances. Now, when Pastor and I first got married, we didn't know the timing of when God was going to put us out on the evangelistic field. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Bishop that told us this. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But we knew there would come a point when we were going to pull up stakes and we were going to go out on the road. And we were cautioned, don't drive your stakes too deep. Don't get in a lot of debt. 
Don't take on a big mortgage. Don't strap yourself down financially so that you have so many obligations that it holds you down and holds you back from what God has instructed you to do. And we heeded that advice. We got a little house trailer. My dad gave me an old car. And we just made do with what we had. We got some hand-me-down furniture. I, of course, you know me. I shop at the Goodwill. That's where I like to go. And, you know, you can buy curtains for a dollar. And we just made us a happy little home with hand-me-downs and used items from yard sales and thrift stores. And three years in, when God said, now's the time, guess what? It was easy to pull up stakes and go out on the road because we weren't tied down to financial obligations. And that's the key. Each of us have callings. We have things God wants us to do. We have things that God wants us to do even with our finances. But if we tie ourselves down so tightly, we restrict ourselves. I remember it's been a while back. We were having issues with our Internet. And I called. I was speaking with a representative of the company. We were having issues with our service. And it was somewhat of a lengthy call. And it was about 7 o'clock in the evening that we were having this conversation. And as we were, she was looking up some stuff, and she paused, and she said, may I say something to you? And I said, of course. She said, I just want to thank you. She said, you're the first person that I've talked to today that has a zero balance on your account. I was kind of taken back by that. Like, it kind of shocked me at first, and I'm like, what? She's like, you have a zero balance, and I just want to thank you. Everybody else I've talked to today, they want to call and complain about their service, but they're not paying their bill. Like, you know, and I, honestly, I was shocked, and of course, you know me, I don't have no problem talking and sharing. I just said, ma'am, my husband is a pastor, and we believe in paying our bills faithfully. Um, we would not be good Christians if we didn't. And we ended up with a couple months of free service, a discount every month for quite some time. They gave us free equipment upgrades. And, you know, I think part of that is just because we had a zero balance on our account. Um, but... One of the things of being a good steward and honoring God is being faithful to pay your bills. Pay them on time. Pay them in full. My point is that part of being a good Christian is that what we do with our finances can also affect our witness. It can affect our witness, being a good manager of our money. I didn't know if I was going to go here or not, but I'm just going to slide over. Little commercial tangent. Being a good Christian means that you tip well at the restaurant when you go out to eat. I... Um, it's kind of my a little soapbox thing for me because I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to give them more than what I give God. God gets 10%. I'm not giving them 20%. Well, you're kind of missing the whole idea. We give God 10% of our income. We give them 15 to 20% of whatever food we ordered, right? Okay, so that's kind of silly. But to me, I think it's a lost art on the opportunity we have to be a great witness because your server knows if they gave you good service or not. And if you tip them well, even when they gave that service, they know. They know. But tell me you're going to sit down at a restaurant, and I'm telling you, it's so sad. But when we traveled and evangelized, there was a lot of times I, we sat down, and they would buy our meal, and we would sit there, and there would be four of us, and we would eat, and we'd get up to walk away, and the other couple that had took us out would throw a dollar down. And my husband would look at me. He'd give me the look. It was prearranged. We already knew what it meant. Like, we started, oh, I'll be, just, I'll be right there. And I go back, get in my purse, and lay down more money because it just, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. How can you lay down a, a dollar for four people and then say, oh, we'd love to have you come to our church? <laughs> they ain't ever coming to your church. We don't want to give God's people a bad name. So a little side commercial off my soapbox. That's ended, okay? You better believe that whenever a major purchase is about to happen that we seek God's direction. When, first time, 
we went to buy a house, the only house we've ever owned, ever lived in. We prayed about it. God, we want to be in the house you want us to be in. If this isn't right, don't let it happen. We prayed many times when we went to buy a vehicle for our family. God, let us get the right vehicle. Because God sees the future, and we can't. And one thing is for sure, when you purchase something here on earth, we inherit all the problems that come with it. Can I get an amen? You get a house, you get all the hidden issues that come with the house. You get a vehicle, you get the unknown mechanical problems that come with the vehicle. Amen? You can become so frustrated when you spend your good, hard-earned money on something only for problems to crop up later. It can be frustrating. Okay? But on the contrary, I want you to think about this. When you invest in the kingdom of God, when you put your money into spiritual things, there's no risk. It's not a gamble. You want to give to a for sure thing? Give it to God. You're going to get a full return and then some on your investment. It's a sure thing. Because when you lay up treasure in heaven, rust can't take it away. Moths can't break through. Thieves can't break through and steal. It is protected, and it is eternal, and it is sure. So in summary, musician can come. You all can stand. Actually, don't musicians don't come yet because I have one thing I want to do first. But let me summarize, and then we're going to do something as a group. When we grasp the idea that we are stewards, okay, not an owner, but a steward, it changes our perspective. Alcorn writes, and I'm quoting, suddenly I'm not asking, how much money shall I, out of the goodness of my heart, give to God? Hmm. No, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, since all of my money is really yours, Lord, how much money of, of yours would you like me to invest today? Where would you like me to put it? When I realize that God has a claim, not on a few dollars to throw in an offering plate, not on 10% or 50%, but 100% of my money, it's revolutionary. Suddenly, I'm God's money manager. Wow. But I'm not God. Money isn't God. God is God. He's in his place, I'm in mine, and money is in its. Not only does God own everything, he controls everything. I don't have to own everything. I don't have to control everything. When we allow God to be the owner, when we allow God to be in control and to be sovereign, it's such a freeing perspective. It can be life-changing because then when things come along like our house is broken into and robbed, the car is totaled in a wreck, a bike gets stolen, I get a report from the doctor I don't like. I don't have to put that on me. God, you knew this was going to happen. You allowed it to come into my life, but I trust you, so it's okay. You're going to take care of me. When we come to Christ, God puts all his resources at our disposal. But he expects us to put all of our resources at his disposal. That's what stewardship and the Christian life is all about. So here's what I want us to do. This is something that Randy Alcorn has in his book. Everybody find a pencil, or a pe preferably a pen if you have one. Pastor, if you could pass everyone out one on this side. Brother Alex, if you can pass one out on this side and send one up to Brother McBroom and Brother Malone up there. Turn it over, don't read it yet, because I want us to all read it together. I know, you're going to be like, what does it say? That way we can all discover it together.
Looks like Sister Whitney's up there too, so if you'll make sure that three make it upstairs. Everybody got one? Just about? All right. Got a couple more. All right. So turn them over. It says transfer of title. And this is what I'm asking you to do tonight. You're going to date this. And here's what it says. I hereby acknowledge God's ownership of me and all my money and possessions and everything I've ever imagined belong to me, including my family and loved ones. Instead of seeing myself as the ultimate recipient, I will see myself as God's delivery boy or girl, enjoying what he intends me to keep and distributing what he intends to go elsewhere. From this point forward, I will think of these assets as his to do with as he wishes. I will do my utmost to ask him and to prayerfully consider how he wishes me to invest his assets to further his kingdom. In doing so, I realize I will surrender certain temporary earthly treasures, but gain in exchange eternal treasures, as well as increased perspective and decreased anxiety. If you're willing to acknowledge those things, I would like you to take a pen and sign that. And then I would like you to exchange it with your neighbor and let them sign as your witness. Now listen, don't sign it just because you're sitting here. If you're not willing to do this yet, don't sign it. But this is about asking God to lead you into what he wants you to do with the things he's blessed you with. All right? Now you can keep that. Take it, slip it in your Bible. Slip it on your fridge. Put it somewhere, whatever, wherever you want to put it. I want you to keep this. All I ask is that you don't take it home and put it in the trash can, okay? Keep it in your purse, keep it on the fridge, your Bible, wherever you want it to be. But this I just want to serve as a reminder. Now listen, if you're not ready, the Bible says it's better not to make a vow and break it, okay? It's better to have never made the vow. So if you sign this, I want you to be serious about it, okay? So let's pray tonight. Brother Mason, can you come to the music? And let's take a few moments just to talk to God, ask him to help us take these concepts. Now next week, I know a lot tonight was teaching about principles and ideas and concepts in the word. Next week, we'll get down to some tangible, how do I apply this? How do I, what do I actually do? with the things I have, some actual applications in our life. What, what giving, what being a good steward, what it actually looks like, practical application. So we're going to go to God in prayer. Just take a moment, and I want you to talk to God and pray that prayer. God, if you're already a giver and a tither, God, am I doing everything that you've asked of me? If you have not tithed, if you're not normally someone that pays your tithes or a giver or you've been spending more than you make or all these different things take a moment and just say God forgive me and help me to do what you want me to do God help me to realize that it doesn't belong to me God it all belongs to you God help me to be a good steward over the finances in my life help me to have wisdom to make wise decisions and to spend my money to do the things with my possessions that would please you God 
Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the blessings in my life. I thank you for a roof over my head. I thank you for the food on my table. God, I thank you for a vehicle. I thank you for clothing, God. I thank you for health. I thank you, Lord, for income to pay the electric bill. I thank you for the income to pay the water bill, Lord, to pay for my house. I thank you, Jesus, for those things. God, to some it might not seem like much, but God, I just want you to know that I'm thankful for it, God. I'm grateful. God, help me to have a grateful heart, God. God, help me, Lord Jesus, Lord, not to be self-centered, not to be selfish, not to hoard it in, but God, to be freely giving it according as you would speak it to me, that I would be obedient to your voice, God. Even if you ask me to step out by faith and do something that's out of my comfort zone, God, help me, Lord, to be willing to trust you. I trust you, God. You've always taken care of me, God. You've met every need in my life, and I'm so thankful, Jesus. And I give you the praise. I give you the honor, and I give you the glory. If we could just close in a chorus tonight, Brother Mason, thank you.